Lord, uh, we thank you for your word uh, that challenges us, that provokes us to good work, good works. And Lord, um, we pray for spiritual ears for each of us, Lord God, to be able to hear not merely from Rabbi David, but to hear from you. And we pray, Lord God, for the necessary discernment uh, for each of us to know how to take your word and apply it, that we would grow by it with a greater degree of maturity in you, Lord, to be more fully conformed to our Messiah. And Lord God, we pray for your spirit to lead us. We ask this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. 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 Thank you, Mary. Yeah, let's close that. So everyone's got notes? Everyone has a Bible? No. Oh, man. I, I did. I got up this morning at 6.30, went to work, and I'm like, there's something I'm forgetting. Yeah, wow. Time has cardinal rules. That's one of them. You always must have a Bible. So, that goes for Mary. For you. Are we ready? Everyone ready? Got notes? Bible? So we're uh, going to continue in um, our thematic teachings that we've done, basically looking at uh, looking at different encounters, I guess you could say, that, that Paul had in his life and in, in the recorded life and recorded ministry that we have in Scripture, looking at some of those things to ideally pull out some... Um, Pull out some things for ourselves in terms of witnessing and, and how we walk in someone else's shoes and how we conduct ourselves in, in different situations, what the possibilities could be and what, what the outcomes could be and all that kind of stuff. And so we're sort of, I think, maybe at a, about a midway point, a little past midway that we've been talking about this, uh, at least recently. And uh, I think our plan is to have at least three, uh, at least two more sessions next week. Michael will be looking uh, at the book of Acts in chapters uh, 8, I believe, right? Yes. 6, yes. 8, with the Ethiopian, yeah. uh, which is um, a little different, a little different situation, not, not uh, Paul, right? Um, but uh, in any event, does anyone have any thoughts? So if you've been here for any of this, any, any things that, uh, that you've gleaned or that you've thought of differently or just any comments you might have on something you remember that we, we've talked about in the last several weeks? Been that, been that gripping, that thrilling. Is that? Uh, <laughs> and if I don't have anything, you don't have to come up with something. I just want to give an opportunity, maybe, if somebody wanted to share something that they've maybe been changed by uh, looking at some of these uh, these scenarios and stories. Nothing hurt. Oh, sorry. No, but sorry. something. Just, had to do some homework on those people before he spoke to them. in Athens? Yes, because he, he knew exactly where they were coming from, and mm -hmm. that took some study, I think, before okay. he did it. Interesting you mentioned that. I'll get back to that. It's good. Okay. You were, you said, were you going to say something? Oh, I was just saying that it's so important to to read ahead. I went, went to Corinthians to, to read ahead, to see what Paul went through to give us Examples of hope and preparedness, how we have to prepare ourselves. Okay. So, so two people, it's interesting, two people mentioned this, this part about being prepared and so forth, because yes, I mean, that's, that's true. 
but as we know in, uh, from our, our sage Tevya, it's on the one hand, right? On the other hand, uh, and I think we'll see tonight, we're looking at, if you see your notes here, are looking at sort of a really a big section. I would call it the last, quote, chapter of Acts, but it's several chapters. But it's sort of the, the last sort of scene, if you will, uh, of, of, of Paul's uh, the, the recording in Acts of, of what's going on with him, starting really in about Acts chapter 21, which is what I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, just kind of to set the context, all the way through the end of the book. In, in these encounters, I think what we see is on the one hand, does Paul know the scriptures as he studied and, and so forth? Of course he has. And then on the other hand, though, I think these are examples of encounters that he had that really do demonstrate that that principle that Yeshua says, you know, when you are brought before leaders and rulers and so forth, that the Holy Spirit will give you. And I've always wondered, what does that mean? I'm going to open my mouth and I have no idea. What, obviously, there's got to be some foundation like what like Karen and, and Mary are, are alluding to. So there's got to be a foundation, again, on the one hand. On the other hand, I think these were not canned speeches. I don't believe he could have, been, he could have guessed that these things were going to happen. And certain things came out that you can see the way that it was orchestrated. I mean, you really didn't know what was going to happen there at the beginning, beginning of chapter 22. It could have all been over at that point, uh, where they could have torn him limb from limb. Uh, but really, things continued, and they went on, and the things he said, he didn't orchestrate that. I don't think he could have possibly known that that's how things were going to happen. So yes, on the one hand, there's, and there's some notes back there for you guys. On the one hand, there's... Um, there's an, there's an element of preparation, which is sort of an overall preparation, an overall way you live your life, an overall knowledge of the scriptures that Paul had. He wasn't trying to memorize Messianic prophecies in order to present them in this situation amongst the people in Jerusalem or before the different uh, rulers and leaders he was in front of. So that's on the one hand, he was prepared. On the other hand, I believe that we see an amazing sort of a, a movement of the Holy Spirit uh, with how he conducted himself, the things that were said, the scenarios. Hopefully, as we look at them a little more detail, you'll see that, that, that that's the case. So, again, we're going to kind of go from about chapter 22 through through 26. But, again, if you were to read this as a unit, I would say you, you read, like, chapter 21 through the end of the book to kind of see what's going on in this, this time for Paul. So in your notes, this is more of a bullet point notes for you guys tonight. Um, the context to what's going on in, <clears throat> in chapter... Uh, in chapter two, Paul's arrival at Jerusalem, when he goes and there's kind of these undercurrents of you know people are saying these things about you. Why don't you go pay for some people to have you know to, 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 to take a vow and, and, and be set apart and all these kind of things. And in the context of that, that's sort of the context. The people Paul shows up in Jerusalem and people saw him there and they began to accuse him of all sorts of things. And you can see it kind of went way out of bounds in a sense. And all, and, and all throughout the different encounters, as you go further, you see that there's really, you know, all these accusations and so forth, there really is no real case against Paul. The case is he's done X, Y, and Z that's unprovable in one sense, but there really is no case against him. So all these things are being being brought up, and even the, you know, the non-believing rulers are seeing this. They're like, what, what are your charges? And then we go to person A to person B to person C. Can you tell us the charges? What are the charges? What are the charges? And ultimately, I'll, I'll get as we go along here. You know, the, the, I think it's Felix. One of them says, "You know, I, it just came. It's just like a religious dispute. I mean, there's really no accusation kind of thing. Is what it came out came out to be. But you see there in like chapter 21 and getting into chapter 22 that people saw Paul uh, at the temple and they started saying all these things about him. That they were saying he was, you know, polluting the the, the Jewish way of life and so forth. The temple, the traditions. He was he was ruining stuff basically." And they started, uh, they drug him away, and they started beating him. And that's kind of where, where things 
got a little ugly, and they, they were, it wasn't they were just sort of giving him a hard time. They were going to kill him. There's no question that, again, he was going to be killed, uh, and that the Roman troops came in to restore the peace. And um, they, the, the guards came in. They, who, who are you? What's going on? They wanted to find out what was going, what going on there. So they took kind of Paul into a bit of like a protective custody so they could find out what, what was going on. Uh, but before they, they, they got to that point, Paul said, let me talk to the people. I want to talk to the people. And he starts talking to them. And he, he gives his testimony. This is one of the first things. Before that, he was living his life. Before that, he was in the temple. He was, he was, he was worshiping uh, uh, for himself. Giving, and he, he mentions that later. Like, I was in the temple offering sacrifices and doing these things. I was there just doing, doing my thing. Um, but then he gives his testimony. And then he got to a point where basically in his testimony that really ticked off the crowd that when he said, look, this is how things have, have gone, and now God has told me that he's going to take me, and it specifically says in the text, far away from you, far away to the Gentiles, um, to his, from his Jewish people to the Gentiles, that's when the crowd erupted again, and that's um, Roman guards took him into custody again, actually took him actually out of, uh, into the actual jail, the barracks, and uh, I, was, I didn't know I was going to mention, I told, talked to Haim about this earlier, it's so politically incorrect when you read this, because initially, you know, in our day and age now with all the stuff about the police, you know, and the police are unjust and they're unfair and all this, you read this, he's, initially they took Paul, they, they put him in custody, and then they asked him who he was, what he was doing, you know. And then here he causes, this uproar call, gets caused, and they take him and they're like, we're going to put him in the barracks and we're going to flog him and see if we can get some answers. What's going on? I mean, it's so inappropriate. But uh, that's, what, that's, what, that's what happens. But he stops him uh, by asking him, you know, about being can you do this to a Roman citizen and so forth? And once the guards, the commander of the, of the Roman guards finds this out, uh, he, he basically unchains Paul and he says, look, let's, let's have a meeting at the, uh, at the, the court, the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court, not, not our court. But that's, he kinda, the, they kind of called a meeting of the Jewish court. And that's the context um, of where we're, we're, we're looking in here with regard to Paul being before the Sanhedrin, which is uh, pretty much chapter 23. So, um, we see that uh, whenever, as soon as that starts, you know, um, things aren't going very well at the beginning. Paul gets, gets hit, you know, right away, gets struck, uh, and, and you can see that he's not much of a people pleaser. This is kind of one of the first things we're kind of gleaning. This is not telling us to go out there and be uh, arrogant or angry or what have you. But the fact is, he was very much on point. He wasn't a people pleaser. He calls, he, he uh, you know... <laughs> He was basically saying, look, I'm just doing my, my due diligence before the Lord. I'm, my conscience is clear. And he accused the high priest basically by calling him a whitewashed wall. He's basically, that's a pretty aggressive, you know, thing he said there. So he wasn't, being, on the one hand, he's brothers and you know, talking about brothers and fathers and this kind of thing, uh, being respectful. But on the other hand, he's not being a people pleaser, that's for sure. Um, he's basically saying, look, you guys look good on the outside, but you're, you're very, you're not so much on the inside. Um, but then again, right back to, Back to back with that, you see that Paul shows deference by saying, uh, oh, I didn't realize, you know, there's all kinds of just uh, questions as to did he see the high priest? Was was it an official court where the high priest was clothed and identifiable as in his position and and all these kind of things? And we don't really know, um, but we do see Paul continuing to show deference to who he was, not, you know, by by referencing the Torah, saying that you should not put put your hand on on God's anointed, uh, the rulers of your people. He says that, quoting from the book of Exodus, Yes. I don't notice here that he actually apologized, though. He did. Um, he said, he says, Paul Rebellers, I did not, well, it's implied, it's, you can sometimes take it. 
You know, he says, I didn't, uh, the translation I have here says, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of the people. So I, I take that, you take that a different way? Well, I used to take it that an offense he was apologizing, but as I was looking at it now, I realize he really hasn't. He's just acknowledged that the, the, the respect that is due to a Kohen Kadol is that you not to speak evil of the ruler of your people. But maybe his tone was actually more deferential than actually what he said, because he didn't come out and say, I'm sorry. He didn't say, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know if there's a word for I'm sorry, but I, I guess I, I take the picture so of, talk, like, you know, I would, I, I take, I, impl I infer what he's saying is, I wouldn't have said that if I'd have known who you were. So, that's how I take it. I mean, I don't, I, again, it's up, we could, it's questionable, but the point, I guess the bigger point that I want to make is that, that he was showing deference ultimately to God, probably not necessarily apologizing to that person, but out of respect for God. Sometimes we, we, we need to do that. This goes to, and we're not, I'm not going to preach about Romans 13 today, but it goes to that whole discussion about obeying earthly authorities, all authority being established by God and so forth. And I think it speaks to that. So on the one hand, did he kowtow and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I would No, I don't think so. On the other hand, did he, was he showing some type of level of respect? Would he have done it differently if he'd have known? It seems like that's what he's saying to me. That's definitely what it is. I mean, at this point, I'm not so sure he's too concerned about. I mean, I think he's more concerned about if I ever get out of here versus I want to come back. But um, yeah, I mean, certainly there's. A, I think that's the biggest thing. There's a deference to God. It's it's him being who he is, but also letting them know. I mean, he's saying things maybe he doesn't have to say, but I think he knew the scriptures so well that he just. I mean, just comes out of it like that. That kind of stuff. Well, what was his position before? Paul's. Yeah. Well, he was a, a, a Pharisee. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is evil ones, not ones that know the scripture, right? <laughs> you know, think about it. It's got off the top of your head. If I asked you, where does it say in the Bible, uh, you know, to not to respect the church? We go, um, or maybe you know, but the point is, you're right. They know even the word very well. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's. I guess that's where. Um, so here, this is this is in in the individual in in today's world. This is how I put it, mm -hmm. or how I think of it. This is this is. Uh, is a high-profile, or was a high-profile attorney. Mm. This is he knew knew the law, mm -hmm. knew the law well. Yeah, and now um, he w he has deference for the position, and has deference for who is the ultimate authority, mm -hmm. which is God. You you hold that position. Maybe I knew you. Maybe I didn't. Right. Whatever. I have I have respect for the position because that position has been appointed by God. Exactly. Exactly. We probably want one to remember that Paul functioned um, as a representative of, probably uh, functioned as a representative of the uh, Sanhedrin because he was given authority uh, high up uh, with which to go yeah. and go after the believers. He talks about that later on, uh, in a couple chapters later, he talks about that. Actually, I think at the end of the book with the Jews, right. uh, one of the two places. But yeah, he does talk about that, that later. You're right. This is a person without a home. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing that I always think. When I think of Paul, mm -hmm. I always think of this is, this is a person that ha really has no home. Mm -hmm. He certainly hadn't been here for a while. Yeah. Hadn't been here for a while. The first kind of, um, 
and again, this all this does speak to what, what Karen and Mary mentioned at the outset about being prepared, because I don't think this is, on the one hand, there is the Holy Spirit empowering him, giving him words. On the other hand, there's a lot in him already that he, that he knows. There's no question. There's a, there's a joining of the two. Um, in, in verse 6 of chapter 23, step, one of our first stops along the road here, uh, we sort of see um, what I would say is his first uh, tactical maneuver, if you will. Uh, was it planned out? Did he do it? On, it seemed like it was an on-the-spot kind of thing. Again, it seems like something that uh, the Holy Spirit gave him the idea for. Again, the text doesn't say that exactly. But it does sort of say, you know, then Paul, you know, sort of like a, hmm, then Paul, knowing that some were, some of them were Sadducees and others were Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. And so, um, again, it was looking pretty bad up till that point. And uh, Paul played on what I believe he knew would be human nature. Human nature in the sense of... Uh, yeah, that there's going to be some arguing, something's going to go on that people, you know, he, he talked about his own theological background, in this case being a Pharisee and believing in the resurrection of the dead. Now, why bring that up? I mean, you probably, you probably know the story. Why bring up? The, the Sadducees, no believing in resurrection. They can argue later. So, <laughs> why, him saying that, saying, I'm on trial for being, you know, for, being, <laughs> for believing in the resurrection of the dead, was he? I mean, this is a much deeper, you know. And that's ultimately, I, that's ultimately, I'm sorry, go ahead, John. Well, I, I think this is where Paul sets the stage. Mm-hmm. That this argument, nobody knows what the argument is. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. Paul decides, yeah. I'm going to define it. Exactly. And this comes up several more times throughout these remaining chapters. Go ahead, Karen. I have kind of a stupid question. Whose offices are we trying to stand in today? <laughs> <laughs> Who are we? Well, in, th- in this case, you know, I didn't go over that title. No, in this case, um, I think it's still I think it's still Paul's moccasins here, unless you want to be in the uh, Senate rings. Do you, you want to be in Ananias Ananias's uh, clogs? No, but I think I think here this is Paul's moccasins. Obviously, does that not seem obvious? Or is that part of the picture too? Is that every sermon in the Book of Acts begins with in some place, and it always typically yeah. ends with the resurrection. Yeah, and yeah. that's what he's doing here. Exactly. You'll see this. You'll see this thread come up. I think two more times at least between between now and the end of the book of Acts, and it's as as John said. Ultimately, I think the reason is he brings it up because ultimately, it would slash could lead to the idea of or the fact of or what he's trying to get to of Yeshua being raised from the dead. We can establish this. There is there is some some common ground because um, in the, in the immediate time frame, it got people on his side. Um, and it was now it was you know not so much everything against him, but there was some of course were against him, some were for him, but basically everyone kind of became against one another in a real sense. I I think that's what he was trying to do, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because they know the Pharisees, they know the Sadducees, yeah. and I said well, well you know as they say that they're gonna be divided, they're gonna fight between them. now. It, it almost, now I can just yeah. start my. My point. <laughs> exactly. It seemed like again, that's that's the thing he keeps coming back to. I think that is a Holy Spirit thing because again, the the, the timing seems pretty pretty amazing, and the the uh, the result became amazing. And I, I think I think for us, what we can take from this is that there's got to be some kind of um, touchstone 
in our in our in our lives in our conversation. Meaning, you know, what a touchstone is Jorge. Pick on you. Like kind of like a commonality, something that's in common to, to both to both of us. Um, it's got to be something. In this case, obviously, Paul. I mean, it was the resurrection. That was something that no one's gonna say. What do you mean the resurrection? Or that brought up the idea of angels, or or you know, being being communicated to in that way because they, they, they say like that also like now the Pharisees are saying wait a minute maybe he heard from an angel you know so it got into even more more than just resurrection proper so to speak but for us we can go around talking about resurrection I mean, obviously that's ultimately we want to get to but but the, the point is that there's got to be some kind of commonality uh, that people want or that, that interests people that people want to talk about in that case they wanted to go at it about the resurrection and about spiritual life and all kinds of things um, but even if it's something like uh, like hope. In other words, uh, you know, people, I think even now, very common to us now, people would hope for eternal life, I would think. You don't think about it much. It's hard to think about when everything's right here in, in our life. But people do think about the hereafter, whatever you want to call it. Um, at a minimum, I think people, there'd be a commonality for, for people to want to talk about a better life, even in the here and now, which is something that we do talk about. Sometimes it's also ignored. Uh, amongst believers, we always talk about the, the hereafter, right? Um, but the thought that there's something, even the thought that there's something out there, that could be a touchstone, a commonality, you know? I think most, even the, the most staunch uh, atheist or agnostic, certainly with an agnostic, they think there's something out there. I know, I believe there's something out there, you know, I believe that believing in that something out there or considering that there's something higher than us leads to a better life or that kind of thing. These are all, I think, again, potentially touchstones or commonalities that we can that we can key on also, um, we don't need to tell people, you know, I'm just thinking about the afterlife. I mean, maybe we'll get there. I mean, that may or may not be, maybe that leads to a reincarnation or some other kind of conversation. Um, but uh, in, in Paul's case, again, it was the resurrection of the dead. For us, I think at a minimum, it needs to be some kind of starting point. And uh, you were going to say something, Mary? Well, I'm, I, we have, if you look to what preceded all of this, you know, how, how they were questioning him, and put him up against a lot of, you know, challenges, mm. is that they knew hundreds of people, thousands of people have accepted Yeshua, you know, that resurrection. And they're trying to get back to, there was no such thing happening. Well, sure, there's only antagonism right. against yeah. them, for sure. But he's trying to get those people back to say, Paul and all these other, you know, disciples, it's, it's nothing. You're all being led the wrong way. Yeah, there were historic, like even though we have, even as we have hist we being, there are historical obstacles, historical realities that you know between people that believe in Yeshua and, and Jewish people who do not. There were historical realities back then as well, like you said, th these kind of things that the different different than what we have now. But but as we're as we're talking about, or as I'm talking about this idea of um, having some kind of co commonality. Again, any other thoughts from 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 you guys? What what could be a thing in your case, for example, something that you think could be a touchstone or a common point of discussion slash debate uh, with people out there that you interact with? Any thoughts about that? Basic belief in God and spirituality. Mm -hmm. Spirituality is a big, I think, a big keyword for sure. The yeah. evilness of the world. Yeah, it's huge. One of the hardest things, even for believers, to have an answer for. It's important that if you haven't studied the problem of evil, for example, that's the, the phrase. If you Google that, you'd find lots of stuff. It's important to consider those things because those are tough questions. 
and things to debate on because life's good, life's bad. You know, I can't avoid people, but people are the worst and wise or evil and all these kind of things. Well, right now, when all the things that happen in the world, how can God let it happen this mm -hmm. day? How can God right. see us? Yes, how can let it, these people get killed or that people get killed? That's right. a, lot of, a lot of the unbelievers ask those questions. So, so I think maybe the idea of, of you know, of peace, <coughs> you know, can, can there be peace? Can we actually have serenity? Um, can we really succeed in this world? What does it mean to succeed in this world? You know, can, can God somehow help us Past tests in school. I mean, these kind of things. I mean, these are these are things we don't necessarily think of oh, God's a magic pill, but these I think are some commonality, some common things that that could spark conversation. Um, receiving unexpected unexpected favor, for instance, at work, maybe new job, promotions, possibly a lot of stuff we prayed for tonight. One of the biggest ones, health. You know, Mary, you never seem to get sick. Why is that? You know what I mean? Well, that they have to. If people see in your life that Sure, that's a big thing. Coming on Saturday, that's, that's a big deal. Right. Consistent and worship. Is, you know, I'm learning more of the word by going to a class. Mm -hmm. So constantly growing. And it's the idea that they, they don't see it too easily, but we can pray that they can mm -hmm. see it in us. Right. That we're striving. Sure. Did you, were you going to say something over here? You were getting close to one of these. I didn't know if it was. Oh, sorry. That's no, it. Okay, I fine. I was thinking <laughs> <hard>. <laughs> Okay. So let's, let's move on a little bit. I'm going to skip down to verse 11. I want to point out just again, there's, so I'm kind of covering a big volume of chapters here, but I want to, there's some just particular verses that stood out to me that I want to take some time on. Um, this is after all that, after the big argument, the, dot of the dispute became so violent that they took Paul away, or else they were going to tear him apart and so forth. Uh, it says, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Um, think about that for a sec. <laughs> I mean, do you think Paul knew it? What do you think Paul thought before that? I mean, I, we don't know, but we do know that, I mean, it was pretty, it was in a pickle. He just got pulled out of a room because these serious, you know, serious military guys thought, they're going to tear this guy apart. we got to put him in jail for his own safety. And then he gets this thing in verse 11, which is huge. Because otherwise, maybe the, maybe the book of Acts ends with chapter 23, you know. Paul stayed in jail and says, you know, in Jerusalem for the rest of his life. Or they took him out and they ambushed him, as we'll read a little bit later. Something like that. But I think this, this is huge. This is an encouragement from God, as we're in these moccasins, perhaps. I think we could use an encouragement from God, right? Um, and the upshot of this was that not only will Paul get out of this jam, this is God not just saying, hey, it's going to be okay, you're going to get out of this, this jam. He says, but you'll be going to Rome, you know? Um, there's no thank you coming here. <laughs> this is, I mean, I thought about this. This is like, imagine back in the day, like if you know, it's like someone coming up to you and saying, "How oh, your your kids and your grandkids, they're just going to be awesome," and you're like, you know, I don't even have a boyfriend or a girlfriend because we're talking about my kids and grandkids. I'm just trying to figure out how to get someone of the opposite, you know, the uh, you know, the complementary gender to. You turn my phone call. You're talking about you're talking about kids and grandkids here. So this is kind of the situation. Kind of like I see Paul, and he's 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 in jail for his own protection from angry mobs. And God's saying, "You're going to Rome. 
That's a serious encouragement there. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, the Supreme Court is just around the corner. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think we don't see the the open doors of the prison. You know, the doors sprung open and we don't see the immediate thing that we think we need. Paul think in Paul's case, I gotta get out of here. How am I gonna get out of here? Uh, we don't necessarily know the time frame. Um, so in some cases, and I think in, in this case for sure, this reassurance that God gives him is the thing that, that's, that, that, that's the thing that, the, that takes place as opposed to the miraculous open doors on the spot. Does that make sense what I'm saying? You, you, maybe you need the open doors, you want the open, how are you going to get me out of this pickle? But God's encouragement is like, is maybe just the encouragement that we need to grab onto is not, ah, look how things worked out but the reassurance from God. Now, I would pray that each one of us would have an experience like this where God would absolutely, you know, stand near us and say this. This isn't a, a, a theophany, you know, very different. You know, there's something else, too, that, uh, that uh, really uh, jumped out at me, and that is that so much of the time when we're in a pickle, all we want to say is, God, get me out of the pickle. Mm-hmm. And so the notion that, A, God can get us out of the pickle and be that God wants to do something much more significant than just getting us out of the pickle, that he wants to use the, the crummy situation uh, to, to expand his kingdom and touch people. Build us up. And build us up, but beyond us, but touching other people through this mess, yeah. that it's, it's a real steep learning curve for us. Yeah. Because we typically are very, very narrow focused on God getting me out of here. And we're probably not in this kind of a dire situation. I'm not trying to minimize anyone's situation, but yeah, I'm walking through King Super today. I mean, there's just food on all the aisles. I mean, think about hunger and these kind of things, and I'm just deciding what I'd like to eat. I mean, it's crazy, the things that we, that we don't face here, we don't face typically in our lives. And here you got Paul, this monster of the faith who's, had, who's, who's met God, heard from God, was blind, and then he was seen, and all this kind of stuff. God knew he needed to hear this. <laughs> I think it was a pretty serious situation. Building you know, he need, he's like, this, this guy he needs to hear this right now. So there may be smaller things that, that we hear in our lives, but um, he needed to hear this. And then as you move on, we see that Paul hears of the plot. There's a plot that he hears his nephew. Again, all these sort of coincidences. Paul's nephew uh, hears about a plot to, to ambush and kill him. And uh, that information gets transferred to to, to, the, to, the, to the Roman soldiers, and they decide to, to, to take Paul out of there. And we see in verse 23 of chapter 23, 23, 23, it says, Then he, this is the, the um, captain of the guards, who we find out his name is Lysias uh, later on here, called two of the, his centurions and ordered them, Get ready a detachment of 200 uh, soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, go to Caesarea at, at uh, 9 tonight, um, provide mounts, for Paul, so that he may be taken safely to the governor Felix. That's a large. <laughs> and, and yes, and I've read, I've read some that said, you know, that's not unusual. But I, I'm with you actually. I think because this really spoke to me. I said, look, there were more than 40 men ready and committed to kill Paul. We read that before this. Um, unbeknownst to Paul, God would provide uh, by way of Roman soldiers. You know, He would provide for him in that manner, way above what he likely needed to receive protection. I agree, John. Uh, 200, you know, 200, all these numbers, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, Paul himself riding on a horse. You know, you talk about God's provision. It's pretty pretty amazing. Again, this was all so that Paul would eventually get to Rome and follow through with God's plans for him. Pretty amazing. David? Yes? Is this, maybe you already covered it, but is there 
If I don't know the answer, I'll say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you <laughs> Is there anger towards Paul similar to the, what it was against Yeshua? In other words, was there the, the in effect, civil versus criminal contingent against him? Because, I mean, what has he done criminally? Yeah, it seems like is it, it is. Is it just like sedition and stuff like that that they're after him for? Or is it the Jewish church leaders that are after him and going the same route that they did with Yeshua? It seems like to me the latter. Do you think anything different from him? Or no, I think it's the latter. I they chose yeah. David. I think it's because I actually wrote that question down and I was reading. I was like, what is the real issue here? So I was thinking, what's going on? It seems to be that. Because we so it's, it's, in a way, every time he presents his. Every time he presents, well, and you can see when this attorney in the next scene presents his case, there's really nothing. I mean, the way that the way that uh, um, the way that um, Felix interprets it is exactly what you're saying. I mean, what's the charge? I mean, they're just, it just seems like an inter-religious. You know, they, they agree on this thing, but they're really arguing about resurrection of the dead. And this guy, this guy Yeshua, who was dead and rose. I mean, that's what this, that's kind of that's what it kind of seemed to boil down to. You know. I was in, in, uh, to, 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 to give a little bit of a preview. I mean, preview. I I asked the question myself. You know, why are all these these you know these kings and these governors and these going to such lengths? Are they just so driven by justice and this you know, this, this man is not? I mean, yeah, not not entirely. I mean, I don't think they're just driven by what's doing the noble thing as much as it is they're trying to keep the peace and keep their necks. I mean, they're looking out for themselves. But this is how God is using them in a sense. What's that? Roman oh, right, exactly. Yeah, they don't want to be, you know, there's always someone above them where they, their, their lives are at stake. But you can see here that God really used the, this guy, uh, Lysias, at least initially here, in a big way. Because when you read all the things he tells to Felix and so forth, he, um, and every, again, every sort of leader along the way, they get all the facts straight. They have what seems like a very unbiased position, and this goes to what, what you're saying, Joy, at the core uh, Lysias realized that the Jews that had issues with Paul had no right to have Paul killed unless they had a charge against him. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. And, and then those charges would be found to be legitimate and so forth. So the, the application, I think, one application for us in this picture of how Paul was sort of, quote, protected or received this provision was to not assume who or how God will use and orchestrate in your life. And specifically, and this is something I've preached about before because I, I believe it and I see it quite a bit, don't be averse to God using non-believers in your life. Duh. I mean, there's going to be a lot of them. And God uses, you know, not recognizing how they can and will likely play into your walk with God and living out and sharing of your faith. That your, your platform, so to speak, whatever it might be, okay? Because coming here and preaching to us, great. You want to do that? That's wonderful. The fact is, your platform for, for living your life out there as a witness uh, is likely going to come from all the sources around you, the other sources. And again, it may, this may seem like a no-brainer, and you say, of course. But I think often, again, I get these questions a lot, like I just want to deal with believers, I want to do everything, I want to put ourselves in this kind of bubble, and I think I've told you a story before about a guy who wanted to know uh, if I knew of a realtor, and I told him of a, of a really good realtor, and I was touting the skills and abilities of the realtor that I knew personally, and he was just brushing all that aside. Is he a believer? Is he a believer? Is he a believer? I'm like, 
actually he is. However, he's also, you know, <laughs> a really good <laughs> realtor. And so sometimes I think we get blinded by that fact or we want to look beyond that to say, you know, uh, I only want God to use believers in my life or I want to decide who and how uh, God's going to use in my life. And that's just not the fact because we see this, this is tremendous how these Roman soldiers were used by God to, to carry out this ultimate, you know, journey for Paul. Um, the thought also is that this is part of God's sovereignty for Paul mm-hmm. because if this had taken place anyplace else, Paul Paul would have been history. Mm-hmm. But this took place real close to the temple, and the Romans had a place called Fortress Antonia yeah. just on the outs on the outskirts of the temple. Yeah, it could have been very different. It could have just said, "Let's just kill this guy." I mean, they could have done that too. It wasn't like they were they were saintly people. They were saintly in their job necessarily. And you see, from this respect, I think Paul understood this because, for instance, in, in skipping to chapter 24, verse 10, this is where, um, this is in the middle or beginning of the trial of Paul before Felix, as he was sent to Felix. It says, when the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. This is in contrast to how um, the, the the lawyer for the uh, the high priest, uh, what is his, his thing? He says, uh, we have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge. I mean, it seems a li- little bit more, um, what do you call it? Uh, you know, took us, uh, 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 affection, if you know what I mean. A uh, little, little more butt kissing there. Than, uh, but, Paul, but Paul, again, in 2410, does, starts off kind of the same way, but again, he shows respect. I don't think it was patronizing respect. Well, that almost sounds a little patronizing. Uh, Paul's actually sort of pointing, I think, to real stuff. Like, I, we know how long you've been, like, almost like, I know I know you. It's not like a, a, a veneer, a superficial uh, uh, buttering up of the governor. He says, you know, I know that for a number of years you've been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. In other words, I know you know your stuff, and I'm glad to be speaking in front of you. And Paul shows the requisite uh, respect to a non-believer. So again, am I talking about going out and making all the non-believers in the world your friend? Well, yes and no. The point is I want us to consider how God uses them in our life. And there is a, this goes, this goes to a Romans 13 message, which I'm not going to preach tonight, about ruling authorities and where they come from and so forth. What we see in chapter 24, uh, verses 15 and 16, where Paul lays out his charge. This is getting to a charge, Joy. And he says, look, if I'm guilty of anything, it's this. He's basically saying, I, I'm, I'm committed to basically the same stuff as the guys who are accusing me. And moreover, I believe that eternity uh, is at stake for me. I believe there's going to be, I'm going to go on, live on, and so therefore I need to stand, uh, I need to take matters very seriously. And again, he brings up the, the crux issue, the idea of the resurrection of the dead. That's what he's saying. That's what I'm on trial for. He really gets that as the forefront of his argument. He is focusing his case and his accusers on what he wants to be the real issue. Again, and ultimately the issue that could hopefully springboard to Yeshua. Mary. And Yeah, he really, he, he brings it up right there. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, think about it. If you're falsely, I mean, having a bad judge or false accuser, I mean, if, if you know anything about, if you want anything about legal stuff, I mean, some people get away with stuff, some people you get a bad judge. I mean, the point is, he realizes that they're going to take his life, and he knows full well there's nothing he's done to deserve death, but he is, he is he's at peace with it. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, but again, even, even in what seemed like a, a really bad situation. On the one hand, now he was kind of out of the immediate, seemed like immediate harm's way. He still witnesses. 
he witnesses to Felix and his Jewish wife, which is in the text. Now we can notice that, but it talks about Felix and his, his Jewish wife. Um, for two years, he does that. For two years, in this, in this bad situation, you know, while they're waiting, awaiting trial, and they're just going to keep him there for two years, he gets to have this regular witnessing to the governor and his Jewish wife. And it made me think about a story. I had a friend in seminary who, uh, who coming through customs with his wife, they were, they were, they, they were uh, coming through customs. They weren't residents of the U.S., but they were legally here. I won't give you the details of the story, but they went through separate places because he was a green card holder, and she was just there on a tourist visa with him, and she got detained. And, uh, and that's the last time she ever set foot in the U.S. I mean, they were just like that. They had a house in Arvada. This guy, he's a wealth, wealthy kind of guy, actually. And everything changed. The whole world upended. And I'm thinking, I'm putting myself to thinking, can you imagine, you know, they have three small children, and mom's in jail. You know, she's detained out in the facility. I can't remember where it is. But, but in there, and these are very evangelistic, outgoing people. Uh, he's a Jewish guy, actually. And he... Uh, his wife just said, you know, it's, she's just started seeing what's going on in this facility. And even in the midst of this uh, terrible thing, she's all focused on the people that are in there. Like, there's people in here that just have no hope. They have no, no connection to the outside. They don't have a, a husband who can give them money to make a phone call. They need money for, they need phone cards. They need this, they need that, and so forth. And so she didn't focus on the issues that were going on, which they were big. They were big unknown issues, I think, very similar to what Paul uh, was seeing. Very, he, he didn't know what was going to happen necessarily, other than I'm, I think I'm getting to Rome somehow, some way, and, and if he'd have known, he might not have wanted to go there if you read about a shipwreck and all these other things that happened along the way. Um, but this lady in the, t- in the detainment, you know, she saw that even, she, she saw even more the desperate needs of others. And so for us, I think in all things, we need to consider that you're able to be used, even in detainment, <laughs> whether it's under the governor Felix or whether it's under detainment for something else that we completely... Again, it wasn't like they were expecting it. She was here legally, all this stuff. It's a crazy story. But uh, in all things, consider that you are able to be used. So even still, over two years later, because this is kind of where Paul hangs out for about two years, um, Paul's life was in danger. Because still, still, they still were plotting. They were still thinking, how are we going to get this guy? They hadn't let up, the, his, his accusers from before. Um, and God was still using the Roman governor, and it switched over to now it was Festus, protect him to protect him. Um, again, I think this is still just this incredible, uh, plain case of amazing provision as Paul was being used, still being used by God the whole time. And I think the application is still the same for you and, and, and me in in that. So, just stopping for a minute to think: in, in what ways, as we're talking about some of this stuff, maybe you, maybe it's all obvious to you, or maybe it's made you think about some other things. In what ways, if you'd like to share, has and, and does God provide and protect for you? And is it just, anyways, let's stop there for a second. In what ways do you think, maybe ways you haven't thought of before, does God provide and protect for you and still allow you to, you know, be a witness for him? Any thoughts on that? You can stay here all night, yeah, after all you have any kind of God protect me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But everyone else is taking care of themselves here? <laughs> a unique opportunity um, by not having money <laughs> to go to food banks. And I've been running into clients, which has been interesting to be there on their level. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, it's a lot easier to give than it is to receive. Mm -hmm. um, but it's given me an opportunity to, to let some of these families that I've known for years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I worked with this one lady, gosh, her, she and her family seven, eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And her kids are grown and they're a mess and blah, blah, blah. And just to say, hey, you know, everybody struggles. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling too. Yeah. And it w it's just been an interesting place to be in, I you, guess. And you probably would never have known about that, right? I mean, like, has anyone else thought about you know, there's people that go through immigration lines at DIA every day probably and get detained, and they're there for years. There's little kids that literally, if you got little kids, I mean, they, they're they gone. Like, they're, now they're in, you, they're in the system, and, like, no, I mean, th this kind of stuff exists. There are so many ministry opportunities out. This is not us, you know, saying, we've got a list of ministries we want to participate in now, but the fact of the matter is if you're looking for something to do, there's plenty, there's plenty to do. There's all kinds. I mean, we get calls to the office all the time. I mean, I get two calls this week already, one about a, a, a jail ministry way up you know, northwest of us. And, you know, they, they just need something. They need something. They need books. They need calendars. They need you know, things, good resources. Uh, another lady called from a school, elementary school today, wants a speaker to come in. There's just so many opportunities, so many things to do. Um, so, yeah, you wouldn't even know about that had you, you know, not had money. I don't recommend it, but still, the point is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's all kinds of yes, things and places yeah. and people that you're not normally going to. Paul's, you know, Paul's around prison guards. He's around governor. I mean, people he wouldn't have been around anyways. Anyone else? Want to talking, we were just talking about this before when we were praying. When before we started, we talked about illness uh -huh. and how. I mean, there's a, there's an example there. How God, you're in you're in the midst of circumstance, whatever that circumstance may be, be it health, be it economic, be it prison, however it, it, it is, it, it's understanding that, um, as you said, uh, Rabbi, that God's not necessarily going to um, yank you out of that mm -hmm. situation mm -hmm. and set you somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But while you're in the midst of that, what are the opportunities that... Uh, that God is surrounding you with, right. and and it's hard, um, as you said, Paul, it's it's hard to to come out of yourself, out of the me and out of the I, and mm -hmm. to see what's surrounding you in the midst of that adventure. So God provides and protects for you, and is it just so that you can live a nice life? <laughs> You know, on the one hand, I think Paul, you know, we can't put ourselves completely in this first century context, but Paul was likely living okay during these years, actually, too. I mean, you can think, I mean, it's not the prison in the sense that we think of it. You read um, uh, in, in chapter 20, in verse 23, actually, of, of chapter 24, that Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, that's a whole other thing we talked about, he adjourned the proceedings, and he said, uh, when Lysias comes, I'll decide your case. And then he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. And then this is where we see, during that time, uh, Paul gets to witness to Felix with his, with his Jewess wife, Drusilla. And then further down, when two years had passed, blah, blah, blah. So we see this is a long period of time. And then I think during that time, because he was given this freedom, he had people come, could take care of him. Uh, I think he was living okay during those years in addition to being able to, um, to witness. So on the one hand, no, God's not providing, providing for you so that you can have a nice life, because Paul was doing that, doing you know, witnessing and so forth. But on the other hand, 
Paul was probably having a relatively nice life uh, during, during this time, so to speak. I mean, you think about a little bit before that what his life looked like. He was getting ready to literally be torn apart by human hands. Um, so, uh, and, and at the end of the day, Paul, I don't think, was unaware of what was going on. If you, if you fast forward over to chapter 26. Can I say oh, you may. Are you saying he's omnipresent? And then how Yeshua comes and you know gives him that builds his hope up again mm-hmm. and whatnot. Sure. And you know, if, if God with us, mm-hmm. you know, what more do we need to sure. acknowledge him? And again, Paul Paul recognizes as I say here in, in chapter in verse twenty two of chapter twenty six, uh, Paul's talking um, Paul's talking to the king. He says, this is, but I have God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. The point is, he says it right there. I've had God's help to this very day. He's not saying like today. I mean, this has been going on for years. He recognized the provision that God had made. He was not going to agree. You know, He realized God was making the provision, but he was also making some choices along the way. At this point in the story, you know, he's he's getting ready to go to Rome. The point is, he realized this is what he needed to do. Uh, he wasn't so he was he was sticking with this provision in his life. But the Roman government was saying, "I want to go see Caesar." He goes, oh, then you're going to go see Caesar. He says, "You'll say it, then you're going to go." That, that that's how the how it went there. And they knew how mean Caesar was. But and again, when you look at all the, it's hard to go into all these details. But when you look at how each sort of official summed up the the charges. To the outside world, which were those guys, I think, is that it looked to them like, you know, there were no charges, there were no crimes. This goes back to what Joy was asking. In, in here in this text, it says really what it was is that when, they, when the official summed it up, he said, yeah, these are just some points of dispute about their own religion, about a dead, name, dead man named Yeshua who Paul claimed was alive. That's, the, that's what these, these rulers determined. Like these guys, they bring all these charges, but really it's just about this dead guy that Yeshua, who Paul says is alive, and some internal arguments about their religion. Um, the real crux, and we've got some, a little bit of time left, but I don't want to miss this last piece, because I think this is sort of the, what am I going to call it, sort of the, the, the climax of, of, of these chapters, for me at least, and I think for us and our purposes and what we're discussing, is in chapter 26, uh, and uh, verse 8, let me make sure I'm right about that. Yeah, chapter 6, well, chapter 6, 26 verse 8 is one part of it, and then we'll go to 28 and 29. But 26 and 8, this is again that, that continual thread of what Paul is really focusing on as his mission critical point. And he says, when he's talking to the king, he says, you know, this is it's because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? He's really trying to hammer that point home, that if we can get over this, if God does, if God can resurrect the dead, Paul can, he's, he's stuck to his, his gun, so to speak, through many, many years. And then he goes on to give his story to, um, to King Agrippa. In, in chapter 26, verses 28 to 29 are really, I think, key for us to consider. Well, I'll read these. So this, is, this is Acts 26, verses 28 to 29. Paul's giving the story. He's talking to 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 uh, 
to Agrippa, or he's talking to Festus and Agrippa, Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such short time you can persuade me to become a believer in, in Yeshua? Is basically what he says. Uh, and in the Greek it actually says, says Christian. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, i.e. yes, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. In other words, whether he was physically actually chained at the time or just, you know, in principle he was not free to go, you know, he said, everything but this I, I wish you would have. And I wanted to stop here. I, I, I thought these, these really jumped out at me as real critical verses for us to consider. Um, because sometimes, I don't know, maybe we might think this. You might think that as you're living your life, as you're hoping to, to you know, influence people or have people who, who seem to be so averse to believing in God, believing in the way you believe or whatever, you might think, do I really expect, like, I mean, does, that, does that resonate with me? In other words, if I was honest, do I really, yeah, that's true. Do I really expect someone to believe like I do? I don't know if you ever had those thoughts. You know, you think, you, I've had years of information, years of sermons, years of experience, sometimes so much that you kind of forget where you came from. Not, not literally, but you forget. Like, what did I used to think? I don't remember some of the stuff I so easily accept now. And we do, we easily accept all kinds of stuff. Uh, that God was on earth in the form of a man, died and rose again. You know what I mean? Like, these are just things we, we just, we, three and one, one and three, one plus one plus one equals one kind of stuff. I mean, things we just accept. Do you ever get to a point where you think, yeah, do I really expect someone just to believe like I do? Which is what, what Agrippa was asking. You believe, do you think you're going to convince me in such a short period of time? Um, is someone from the world, someone like Agrippa, a literal king of the world, really going to, you know, believe based on a message that you give them? Paul, are you going to talk yeah, um, That's one of the reasons I like to talk to non-believers, because it does bring me back to the mm -hmm. way that I used to think. Because they do ask those questions, and they're like, you believe what? Uh -huh. And you really, when you think about it, sometimes it does seem a little crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if you start going down their, you know, their thought process and what they're thinking and where they've come from, it's like, okay. I and it's critical. Dr. Michael Brown is a, one of the best apologists I know of, uh, giving a defense of the faith. You know, he, he says step one is forget learning the Bible, forget learning all this. Step one is put yourself in their shoes. Feel the weight of their objection. Until you feel the weight, until you really are wrestling with what they're disagreeing with, you shouldn't forget all forget all the answers and the quips and quotes and these kind of things. Um, and quite frankly, you might be there. You might be like Paul, standing there in chains, <laughs> right, physically. Or, um, and as Paul said, I think we need to consider that you know, the answer to the, the question from the person or from the grip of that, yeah, maybe yes, maybe I do expect you in short order to become a believer. Maybe no. But maybe. You know, but maybe, but it's in God's time. You know, remember, you might just be the you might just be the sower part of the equation. Remember, there's different parts to sort of reaping the harvest, if you will. There is a reaper part, and that might be you sometimes. Either way, remember that you're part of the equation. I was reading uh, some literature this week from uh, Juice for Jesus, so they send a, they send newsletters out and so forth, and they give the different bits from the branches. I think is the section where they talk about what's going on, different ministry areas, and so forth. And there was one, I didn't have it, I don't have it with me, but there was one this month that was talking about, you know, uh, you know Gustavo in Brazil was on the streets witnessing to so-and-so, and he said, would you like to, you know, trust Yeshua? Yeah. Like, it was just like, it seemed like one of these too easy, like it was, clearly, that was a case where Gustavo was the, was the reaper, <laughs> you know, but maybe there was someone else along the way that was getting the question like Paul. Someone talked to this guy, and 
you really expect me to, you know, whether through word or action, they kind of they came across. Um, so <coughs> the answer is yes. You want someone to believe in Yeshua, um, but it is a it is a process, you know. Fearless, huh? Well, they're not affronting you. In fact, that, that's a good segue to the, what I was going to close with. I think I may have put in your notes too, is that Paul, in this case, in chapter 26, was giving he was giving a defense. On the one hand, he was giving a defense for himself. This is someone who still was accused, was not free to go. He was on trial in a sense. He was giving a defense for himself, yes. But his message ultimately returned to that larger picture he was getting at, you know, the, the resurrection. And likewise, I think we need to realize we can be defenseless, we can be fearless, um, but we need to realize that we need to be ready to give a defense for our faith and not just exhibit defensiveness. Because the fact is, as, as Mary said, they're not really, no one's, I mean, on the one hand, it might feel like you expect me to believe what you believe in two, two minutes here or whatever, you're, you're crazy. You, you think one plus one plus one equals one. Um, but at the end of the day, we need to realize we're giving a defense for our faith. We're giving a defense for something bigger than us, like Paul saying, I'm here to talk about whether or not God could raise someone from the dead. And that's not much different than, than, than what we need to, quote, unquote, convince people of today. And that's really what we're convincing them, that God could become whatever he wants to be. And if that's a man for those 33 years and then, you know, raised from the dead, that, that's, that's what God did. That's ultimately the defense we're giving, a defense for our faith, but to do it in a way that we're not being defensive, defensiveness. And that's a, that's, a, that's a tough one because Paul was getting a lot of criticism and people were after him and you might get the same thing. So we got about one minute left. Any, any comments or Rabbi Hein, do you anything you want to share or add? Well, it's a, it's a challenge because uh, we, we don't identify ourselves as being Pauline. No offense. Uh, in other words, Paul-like. Um, but reality is that we live in a world that's more and more becoming anti-Yeshua and so uh, we have to to, uh, to recognize A, I'm not going to hide or be defensive on one hand uh, nor am I going to be uh, aggressive but simply, simply like Peter puts it this way be prepared to give an answer for those who ask you for the hope that's in you uh, with with gentleness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's in your notes. That That's the passage that's referenced at the, at the end of your notes in First Peter. Mm. Well? And then there's a time to say something and then there's a time to be quiet and let the Holy Spirit emerge. Yeah, there's, a, there's a growing time. There's always to be a growing time. So next week, if you want to do read, if you want to read ahead, run a read and kind of be prepared, Acts chapter eight, and uh, Michael will be sharing amazing insights and plumbing the depths of that scripture. And not always, but anyways, Michael, would you close us in prayer? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come and study your word and to learn more about who you are and who people are. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us discernment, help us to know our assignment. We just pray, Lord, that uh, we want your heart as you have a heart for the lost as well, Lord. Mm -hmm. And so we pray that uh, as we see them, 
that you'd give us the wisdom that we need and watch over everyone as we go our separate ways. Keep us safe on the roads and help us to get home safely. And we give you all glory and honor in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Amen.